Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. Now in the King James it says, And be renewed in the spirit of your mind in Ephesians 4.23. In the Living Bible, the Paraphrase Bible, it says, Now your attitudes and thoughts must all be constantly changing for the better. Notice your attitudes and thoughts must all be constantly changing for the better. Your thoughts, my thoughts, your attitudes, my attitudes must constantly be changing for the better. The reason being is because once we've been born again, our spirits have been regenerated by the power of God. Our attitudes and our thoughts were not affected. The Bible teaches us in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2 that we're not to be conformed to this world system, but transformed by the renewing of our minds that we may prove what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. And you see, unless our minds undergo repair, unless they are reconstructed, our thoughts are reconstructed, Unless we experience a rebuilding process within our thoughts, within our minds, and our attitudes, the process of transformation will be hindered. We won't be changed as God wants us to be changed. Yes, we're born again. We have eternal life. But we'll not continually be changed from glory unto glory as by the Spirit of God unless... We experience this process of rebuilding within our thoughts, our minds, and also within our attitudes. So our thoughts and attitudes must constantly be changed for the better. Without change, there is no growth. Without change, there is no growth. We must make a decision in our own selves to change. Unless we say, I am willing to change and to be changed, there will be no change. But if you're saying in the next breath, I want to grow and develop spiritually, you're not going to have growth or spiritual development without change. I think that's something that we all have to realize, beloved. How many of you want to grow and develop spiritually? Then what we're really saying is, I want to change. But how many of you know that change is very difficult for human beings? It's not in our nature to want to change. We want to do things the way we do things, and that's all there is to it. And we don't want anybody else coming along and telling us to do things differently because we want to do things the way we want to do things, and that's all there is to it. This is how I do it, this is how I like it, and that settles the issue. Well, that kind of an attitude will not promote change in our lives. And without change, we cannot experience growth and development. Beloved, let me give an illustration here. Sometimes we come to church 
and we have this attitude. I've heard that before. This is boring. Why do I have to hear it again? Well, know for a definite fact that you won't get anything out of what you're hearing. The Bible says, take heed what you hear, that's content, and take heed as to how you hear it, that's the attitude in what you hear. If we put up a wall of defense, a red flag, so to speak, we're not going to receive anything. Why? Because the Spirit of God is a gentleman. He'll not even push revelation knowledge on us if we don't invite Him in to teach us. Did you know that? The Holy Ghost is a perfect gentleman. He'll not cause change to take place unless we want change. And that's why the Bible says to seek Him with all of our hearts. Why? Because that shows the Father that we want change. Unless we seek Him with all of our hearts, unless we do our part, see, then He doesn't really know whether or not we want change. And how many of you know that if we don't want it and don't act like we want it, He will not force His opinions on us? How many of you know that? See, one of the characteristics of the true worshipers of God is what? We are those that submit ourselves to His opinions and His judgments. That means we say yes to His opinion and no to ours. This may be my opinion, but I'm willing to change my opinion for His. And beloved, when we have that type of an attitude of humility within our hearts then we'll be open to change and the Spirit of God will have something and someone to work with. But unless we do that, we will not receive any change within our lives and neither will we grow spiritually. We must want change in our lives if we want to grow spiritually. So make note of this. We must all, our thoughts and attitudes, all must constantly be changed for the better in our lives if we are going to grow and develop spiritually. If not, this process of transformation will be hindered and will act like the people of this world system. How many of you know that God doesn't want us to act like the people of this world system? You know that, don't you? God doesn't want us conformed to their attitudes. He doesn't want us conformed to their opinions and thoughts. He wants us to be transformed, to change in spirit, soul, and body. We've been changed by the new birth, but now our thinking has to change. Our souls have to be saved. They need repair. They need rebuilt. They need renovated because our thoughts are not God's thoughts and our ways are not God's ways. His ways and thoughts are higher than our thoughts and ways as the, high, as the heavens are higher than the earth. See? And that's why He has sent His Word to straighten out our what? Thinking. To straighten out our thinking. And to do what? Change our opinions and attitudes. See? And that's what He's endeavoring to do in all of our lives. So He doesn't want us to, con to conform to this world system, but He wants us to change. He wants us to be imitators of Himself. To walk in the realm of love as He is love. To operate in the power of a higher life. Not in the power of a lower life. See, He has provided life for us. He has given us His quality of life. We have His life within us, and He is saying, I want you to walk in the power of that life that is within. I don't want you to walk in the power of Suke. 
which is natural human life, being led by our emotions and the power of our intellect, he is saying, I want you to begin to trust me with your whole heart. And don't lean to your own understanding, but begin to look to my ways, my opinions, my thoughts, my attitudes, and develop in them so that you can operate in the power of a higher life. That's what he is saying to us. And if this does not take place, beloved, then we'll still be conformed to this world system and we'll operate in the power of lower life and we'll try to overcome spiritual battles with natural powers. How many of you know that natural powers are not enough to overcome spiritual problems? How many of you know that emotional powers are not strong enough to overcome spiritual difficulties and battles? And also, intellectual powers are not enough to overcome spiritual difficulties. See, we have an enemy arrayed against us in the spirit realm. And the things that we encounter in the physical realm have their origin in the spiritual realm. The forces of darkness causing things to take place that would bring devastation to our lives. Sicknesses and diseases. Doctors work frantically to try to find cures. But as we all know, man will never find a cure for every sickness and every disease. Why? Because the origin, the cause, is spiritual. It's not physical. And the moment man finds a, a cure for a sickness, know what happened? The devil will go back into his workshop and conjure up another fiery dart. Name it this, name it that, name it whatever. As long as we live upon the face of the earth, man will never develop enough cures for the sicknesses and the diseases that the devil can conjure up by his wickedness. And so you see, beloved, in our generation, in the period of time that we live upon the earth, we've got to make a decision to do what? To change our way of thinking. To begin to think like, God's think, like God thinks concerning even our physical well-being. And unless we begin to make those adjustments in our attitudes and within our thoughts, then we are going to fight spiritual battles with carnal weapons. And carnal weapons are not powerful enough, beloved, to overcome spiritual problems. And that's why I thank God for sending us His holy written word to straighten out our thinking, enabling us to operate in the power of a higher life, a higher life so that we have something more than what the world has to offer. How many of you know that you have something more than what the world has to offer? You can offer the world something that they don't have. It's been provided for them. You have it. They don't. Amen. Shouldn't we then enjoy it while we have it, beloved? Absolutely. And we can do that if we will just see to it that we have the right kind of attitude that says, I want change in my life. Now, turn with me to the book of Numbers chapter 13 and 14. And I want to continue along the lines of attitude just for a moment so that we can better understand how important our attitude really is concerning spiritual matters. Last time I spoke on the, the overcoming attitude, I talked about Joshua and Caleb and their attitude and how they faced life difficulties different than what their associates did. Instead of seeing problems and difficulties as being insurmountable obstacles that they could not overcome, 
They had the attitude of an overcomer that said, although we live in the world and although we face the same problems and difficulties that everybody else does, we will not have or maintain a negative, defeated attitude. They said, we will not look at the problem as being bigger than our God. We'll focus in on our God and see to it that we know in our hearts that He is bigger than our problem. They were willing to change their way of thinking. They were willing to live apart from their emotional feelings. They were willing to trust God with all their heart and lean not to their own understanding. They were willing to ignore the opinions of men. They were willing to turn away from the peer pressure. They were willing not to go with the crowd, not to be swayed by the majority. But oh, they were the overwhelming minority. They chose to believe what God said to be true above their circumstance. Beloved, even in Christian circles, I'm telling you, this is how it is. For the most part, many will not have that perception. These two chapters perfectly indicate and apply to all of us that the majority of even believers do not have the ability to follow the Lord and operate in His power as God would have them to. Because of all these people, including all the leaders, only two rose up with a victorious attitude. Only two rose up with an overcoming spirit. That's alarming, isn't it? I said, that's alarming, isn't it? You see, that's why when we preach the message of the Word as we do in faith and power, many have difficulty with it. Why? Because of being bound up and hemmed in by the five physical senses that dictate otherwise. Well, beloved, it's time to, to walk free from the dictates of our flesh, to walk free from the dictates of our emotional feelings. It's time to rise up and walk free in the law of liberty, looking to God as our source of strength, looking to the name that's above every other name and recognizing in the power of that name we can do all things. That there is inner strength infused into our inner being enabling us to rise up to every occasion, able to meet every situation in victory. In the book of Numbers, chapter 14, first of all, we look at the overcoming attitude of Joshua. Numbers chapter 14 and verse 9. Only rebel ye not against the Lord, neither fear ye the people of the land. For they are bred for us, their defense is departed from them, and the Lord is with us, fear them not. Notice, he did not face the problem with doubt and unbelief. He did not view the problem as being insurmountable. He saw the same thing that they saw with the natural eye, but shifted gears and went beyond that and began to see through the spiritual eye of faith and, and concluded the fact that the enemy is bred for us. This situation is something we can grow on and will grow on. So he tried to tell the other people in a proper way, communicating with them and to them the truth he held within his heart. But did you know what? It was very difficult for him to do so. 
Because although he had their best interests at heart, they rebelled against him and wanted to stone him. Read on. Verse 10. But all the congregation bade stone them with stones, and the glory of the Lord appeared. Look how they responded to what he was saying. There's something wrong with you. We're facing possible death and destruction and ruination. And here you are saying, let's go and let's do battle. Look at the overcoming attitude possessed by Caleb in chapter 13 and verse 30. While all the others were complaining about the difficult task that they were facing. And I can just hear some of the murmuring. Well, maybe God just wants us to go through this. Maybe God has sent this, these problems our way for a reason. You know what the Bible says? He won't give us anything more than we can bear. We'll just have to bear it. We certainly can't defeat them. We certainly can't overcome them. Well, who knows? If God would deliver us from them, maybe we'll have a bigger problem. We better stay here. We can't overcome them. We're like grasshoppers in their sight. Now, all that was, was true according to natural physical evidence. And Joshua and Caleb saw the same thing. But Caleb said, look, enough of that kind of talk. I don't want you to view the situation as being insurmountable, an obstacle that cannot be overcome. I want you to see it through different eyes, eyes of faith. He stilled the people. The Bible says, be still and know that He is God. Oh, there are times, beloved, we've got to get a hold of our emotions when we're in emotional upheaval and say, be still. Be still. When thoughts are running through your mind rampant, you're going to go under, you're going to sink, you're not going to make it, you're going to die, your business is going to fail, your marriage is going to fail, your children are going to fail, they're never going to walk with God, and etc., and etc., and etc., and etc., and etc., and you find yourself under the weight of it all, it's time to rise up and say, be still. And that's what Caleb did. He said, be still. He's still the people. Be still and know He's God. Oh, there's just a change about it, beloved, when you say, I know He's God. Be still, my soul, and know He's God. Be still, my emotions, and know He's God. Be still, my thoughts, and know He's God. Oh, they may be giants in the flesh, but He's God Almighty. Hallelujah. And He created them all. And what are they? They're bread for us. Do you see the attitude that Joshua had? Do you see the attitude that Caleb had? Be still, he said, before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it. We are well able to overcome it. Not just able, well able to overcome it. Look at the attitude that he had. He was not one who would be defeated. He was one who said, no matter what the difficulty is, no matter what the situation may be, he, we are well able, in the name of the Lord, we are well able to overcome. They possess an overcoming attitude, and because of their overcoming attitude, they were victorious. They tried their best to communicate what they had on the inside of them to their associates, but beloved Carefully listen. When people are not willing to change, when they're not open to reproof and corrective criticism and correction in their lives, 
you're not going to penetrate. You're not going to penetrate their way of thinking. That's why the Bible says, humble yourself before the Lord that He may lift you up. Even the Lord Himself cannot penetrate unless we have a humble attitude of mind. Did you know that? That's why even before prayer, the Bible says, If my people that are called by my name would do what? Would humble themselves and pray, then He would hear from heaven. Then He would forgive their sins. Then He would heal their land. See? Attitude of mind. Humbleness of mind. A right attitude will always lead one into victory. Now, I want you to see something here. Look at verse 36. And I recommend to those of you who have not read these passages of Scripture, these two chapters, number 13 and, numbers 13 and 14, do so. And get the full understanding of what happened here. Because it's a type of what we are actually experiencing in the earth today. Difficulties, storms of life, trials, circumstances, death sentences, you know, all these things coming our way. Victory depends on the attitude that we have. If we have an attitude that is willing to change then God can work with that attitude and inject His thinking into our spirits. And then the outcome will be victorious. But if we are not willing to make adjustments in our attitudes so that they are constantly changing for the better, then He cannot get in to impart what is necessary to put us over the top. In verse 36, here's what happened. The Lord appeared to them. He was upset with them because of their negative attitude. He was upset with them because of the things they said about Him. He said, as you spoke in my ears, you will have. You will die in this wilderness. He pronounced judgment upon them. And they got exactly what they said. They were not allowed to enter the promised land. And as you read from verse 36 on, you're going to find out something that happened to the leaders that influenced the people negatively. In verse 36, And the men which Moses sent to search the land, who returned and made all the congregation to murmur against him by bringing up a slander upon the land, even those men that did bring up the evil report, notice this, upon the land, died by the plague before the Lord. You know, there are those who don't want to hear teaching about the words that we speak and the attitudes that we have. There are those that think that God's sovereignty means that He just does anything, anytime, anyway, anyhow. But as you read these Scriptures, you'll find out the reason why they died prematurely in the wilderness was because they had a bad attitude, because they didn't know how to follow the Lord wholly, with all their hearts operating in His power, and they spoke out evil against the Lord. Their words were against the power of His operation, and the Lord did not like the words they chose to speak. And also, they would not give themselves over to reproof or constructive criticism when they had their opportunity to repent. That's why they died before the Lord. These men who were the leaders... Now notice, out of 12 leaders, 10 of them died by the plague before the Lord. And the Bible tells us why. Because they brought up a slander or an evil report against the land. And I notice this. And made the hearts of the people melt within them in fear. 
and cause them to murmur against the Lord. What's murmuring against the Lord? Just speaking out of his speaking out of line with his desired result. Did you know that? They spoke out of line with his desired result. He says, I'm taking you into the land. They says, we're going to die in the wilderness. He says, I'm taking you into the land. They said, there's an obstacle there. We're going to die in the wilderness. Why'd you bring us out here? We're going to die in the wilderness. He says, I'm taking you into the land. I'm sending an angel before you to take you, to lead you, to guide you. You're going in victoriously. They said, we're going to die in the wilderness. Moses, who are you? Joshua, who are you? Caleb, who are you? We're going to die in the wilderness. There's no food to eat. There's no water to drink. There's not this. There's not that. There's giants in the land. We're going to die in the wilderness. We can't overcome those obstacles. Who do you think we are? We're not warriors. Look how small we are. Look how big they are. Little do they realize it, they're murmuring against the Lord. How do we murmur against the Lord? I just can't make it. I'm just not going to go. I can't pay my bills. I don't know why I'm always sick. I don't feel well today. I don't know what I'm going to do. And on and on and on. I'm not going to make the grade. I'm not going to pass the test. I'm not going to develop. I'm not going to be able to do this for the Lord. And on and on and on. My marriage is not going to work. My children are not going to obey. And on and on and on and on. That's exactly what those leaders did. And the influence they had upon their lives, as I said, caused their hearts to melt within them for fear. And the Bible says that those leaders died by the plague before the Lord. It does not pay to be a negative leader, my brother and sister. It does not pay to be full of doubt and unbelief. There's no reward. The Bible says there's a reward for those that diligently seek Him. Why? Because they get to know Him. And when they get to know Him, they know His ways. They know His thoughts. They know His attitudes. They know what He does. They know what He does not do. They don't falsely accuse the Lord. The Lord did not bring them out there to die in the wilderness, but they did because of their doubt and unbelief and the evil that was in their hearts. They refused to change. They refused to go with the flow. And so they died before the Lord. Now, go on down to verse 40. And they rose up. Now, here's what happened. We better read 30. Let's read right on through. Why not? But Joshua, in verse 38, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, which were of the men that went to search the land, lived still. Why did they live still? Because they wholly followed the Lord. Because they were willing to change their attitude. They were humble. They were willing to look beyond the natural perspective into the spiritual perspective. To see through the eye of faith. They were willing to choose right words. Don't say we can't. Don't fear the enemy. Don't say you can't do it. Don't say you fear the enemy. God didn't give you the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Don't say you can't make it. You can. We can. Don't say you can't possess the land. You can. We can. They tried to influence the people to do right, but they could not do that. So they were kept out. But Joshua and Caleb, the other two leaders, live still. It does pay to be a positive leader who has a positive influence upon the people that he is leading. Why? Because God is a positive God. That's why. And that's representing Him well upon the earth. And although there may be the same difficulties that you face, you face them with a different attitude. 
And that's exactly what Joshua and Caleb did, and they lived while the others died. And Moses told these things unto the, all the children of Israel, and the people mourned greatly. Well, it sounds like they're finally getting their act together, doesn't it? Well, no, they didn't. Early in the morning, and get them up into the top of the mountain, say, Lo, we be here, and we'll go up to the place which the Lord had promised, for we have sinned. Well, that all, all that sounds good, doesn't it? But how many of you know that change is not that easy? How many of you know that when you have a bad attitude, unless you're willing to humble yourself and be changed, you're going to still have that bad attitude? Because here's exactly what they did. They once again rebelled against the Lord, and they once again rebelled against Moses, and they once again rebelled against what Joshua and Caleb said to them, thinking this time that they were doing it right. Here's what they said. We're going to go to the top of the mountain, the place the Lord has promised us, and we have sinned, and we're going to go before the Lord. Moses said, Wherefore now do you transgress the commandment of the Lord, but it shall not prosper? Go not up, for the Lord is not among you, that ye be not smitten before your enemies. For the Amalekites and the Canaanites are there before you, and ye shall fall by the sword. Because you are turned away from the Lord, therefore the Lord will not be with you. But they presumed... It does not pay to be presumptuous. They presumed to go up unto the hilltop, nevertheless. Everybody say, nevertheless. Now notice this. The ark of the covenant of the Lord and Moses departed not out of the camp. You know what that means? There was a time that God was in it. There was a time that God would have honored His Word. He was in it. There was a time they could have gone and possessed the land and by the power of God smitten the enemy. And the land would have been theirs. But because of things that transpired, God had a change of plans. Now they were to stay in the wilderness And just thank God that they would still be in the wilderness and somewhat provided for there. But right away, they say, we did wrong, we sinned, it's good to acknowledge your sin. But although they acknowledged their sin, they didn't have a change of heart. They didn't have a change of attitude. Because Moses told them, don't go. God's not in it this time. So they made their right confession. We're going to go up. We're going to possess the land. We're going to take it over. Beloved, it's not just what we confess. God has to be in what we confess. Boy, there's a big revelation there. God has to be in it. He has to go before us. It has to be in His plan and purpose. And that's why we need to know His holy written word and understand His way. And so still, they maintained the wrong attitude. Still, they possessed this wrong attitude. And what they did was rebelled once again. Exactly what they did the first time. But this time, beloved, they're going to face the same giants of the land. Can you imagine this? First, they were afraid of them when God was with them. Now, they're not afraid of them, and God's not with them. Is that deception? They were afraid when God was with them. Now, God's not with them. Oh, here we go. We're going to fight this enemy. Oh, are you really? We're going up there and we're going to possess the land now. 
The ark did not go, which represents the presence and the power of the living God. Moses did not go, the representative of the Lord. Joshua and Caleb, you know, didn't go. Wouldn't you think that they would see those leaders and just follow their example? But see, they were not willing to change. They were not willing to adhere to constructive criticism, reproof, which is constructive criticism. And they went up to, to take the land and look at verse 45. Then the Amalekites came down and the Canaanites, which dwelt in that hill, and smote them and discomfited them even unto Hormah. They died there. Many of them died there. They lost their lives there because they went out to battle without the Lord. See, they changed, but they only changed according to their own way of thinking. When the Lord was with them, they did not go. When the Lord was not with them, they did go. Confused. Reasons why these people did not experience what God had for them. Number one, they possessed bad attitudes. They possessed bad attitudes. Number two, they knew not how to follow God's plan or operate in His power. See, beloved, you can be positive and still not follow God's plan and still not operate in His power. Positive thinking alone is not enough. They were thinking positive the second time, but God wasn't in it. We need to know how to follow God's plan, and we need to know how to operate in God's power. And finally, number three, they were not open to constructive criticism, which is reproof. They were not open to reproof. They were not open to constructive criticism. As a matter of fact, there's a, a verse, I'll read it to you. From the book of Proverbs, chapter 1, that says, this is verse, these are verses 24, right on through 30 and 31. Because I have called, well, let's back up, 23. Turn you at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit unto you. I'll make known my words unto you. Because I have called... You have refused. I have stretched out my hand. No man regarded. You said it not my counsel. Would none of my reproof. Reproof is constructive criticism. It is something that rubs you the wrong way, but for a right reason. How many of you know that human beings don't like to be criticized at all? How many, how many of you know that? No one likes criticism. But how many of you know that there is destructive and constructive criticism? And reproof is talking about constructive criticism. Constructive criticism. See, destructive criticism is designed to ruin and humiliate, to destroy. Destructive criticism means to destroy, to bring destruction through humiliation... And fault finding. In other words, to find your faults, point them out to you with a wrong motive and a wrong attitude behind it to destroy you, to bring you down, to make you look bad. That's destructive criticism. 
constructive criticism means to encourage, to lift up, to help, not humiliate, but to encourage, to lift up, to help. Now notice this. It's called criticism because you're going to find faults or flaws in what someone is doing, but the difference between destructive and constructive criticism is attitude and motive. The attitude and the motive of the person, the person's heart, that is offering the criticism. Joshua and Caleb did not intend to destroy, to ruin, or to bring down through humiliation and fault-finding his associates and the Israeli people. They didn't mean to do that. Joshua and Caleb wanted to uplift them, wanted to encourage them by letting them know that what they were saying was wrong, what they were doing was wrong, and showing them the right way to do it. That's called constructive criticism. Letting someone know that what they're doing may be wrong, can be wrong, is wrong. And if you'll just change and do it this way, you'll benefit by it. It's going to benefit you. It's going to help you. But see, if the motive that I have is to ruin your life, to destroy your life, to destroy your business, if it's to humiliate you in front of other people, then it's wrong. It's destructive. I'm pointing out flaws in your character, flaws in your thinking, flaws in your belief, flaws in your, ways of, your way of doing things. Why? To destroy you and maybe to make me look a whole lot better. See, that is not constructive. That is destructive. Beloved, criticism is important to all of our lives. I'm going to show you that in a minute. Because look at here. If you have, but you have said it not my counsel, and would none of my reproof. And reproof means constructive criticism. Corrective criticism. Correction. You would not listen to me as I tried to correct your way of thinking. You wouldn't listen to me as I tried to make adjustments in your attitudes. You wouldn't listen to me when I tried to give you guidelines and to show you how I operate and do things. You would not listen to me, he says, therefore. Now listen. I also will laugh at your calamity. I'll mock when your fear cometh. When your fear cometh as desolation and your destruction cometh as a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then shall they call upon me. I'll not answer. They'll seek me early, but they won't find me. They hated knowledge, didn't choose the fear of the Lord, with none of my counsel. They despise my reproof or corrective criticism. Therefore, they're going to eat the fruit of their own way, be filled with their own devices, for the turning away of the simple shall slay them, and the prosperity of fools shall destroy them. But who hearkens unto me? Shall dwell safely. I like that part, don't you? Look at all the different verses that are used to point out the one who does not hearken unto wise counsel. Who does not hearken unto constructive criticism. And one verse just says it all. Look, you hearken unto me, you'll dwell safely and you'll be quiet from fear of evil. There'll be peace in your home. Peace in your life. Confidence before God. Turn with me, if you would, please, to... Psalms 
15, Psalm 15, and verses 31 and 32. These people did not benefit from constructive criticism, and therefore they died by the plague before the Lord. The others were influenced by the leaders who had a bad attitude toward God, bad attitude toward the things of God, bad attitude toward the operational power of God, bad attitude toward the character of God. They would not listen, and therefore they died in the wilderness and were unable to enter into the fullness of the blessings of God. God didn't want that. But it was a result of their not hearkening unto what? Reproof, which is corrective criticism. See, unless, beloved, we have a change in attitude, humbling ourselves before the Lord, saying, I will listen to your corrective criticism. I will listen to what you have to say. Change will not occur. We will not grow and develop spiritually. But if we will have the right attitude, if we will listen to the reproof and corrective criticism that comes from the Lord, then what will happen? We'll dwell safely. And we'll be quiet. Right in the fear of evil. From fear of evil. Joshua and Caleb faced the same difficulty, but they did so with what? Peace in their hearts. Faith and confidence. And they overcame. The blessings of the Lord were theirs. All the others died prematurely. They proceeded into the promised land. Thank God. Look at Psalms. Um, Then I say Psalms. Forgive me. Proverbs 15. Proverbs 15. And verses 31 and 32. Proverbs 15 and verses 31 and 32. The ear that heareth the reproof of life abideth among the wise. He that refuseth instruction despiseth his own soul, but he that heareth reproof getteth understanding. That's a little blind to us. In the Living Bible, it says this. If you profit from constructive criticism... You will be elected to the wise men's hall of fame. But to reject criticism is to harm yourself and your own best interests. I'll say it again. If you profit from constructive criticism, you'll be elected to the wise men's hall of fame. But to reject criticism is to harm yourself and your own best interests. It's like cutting off your nose to spite your face. Let me say it this way. Once we have settled things in our own minds and we have fixed our position concerning things, it's difficult to hear what anybody else has to say on the subject. When I first came over into Pentecostal circles after after having the background that I had, it was very difficult for me to change And to begin doing things the other way. I was bound up by my own way of thinking. I was bound up by what I believed. 
Because I was so taught over the years that this is the way you worship God, that when I got into a church, a liberated church where people lifted up their hands and glorified God, I'm telling you, I had a hard time with that. But because I chose to listen to corrective criticism, because I was willing to say that my way was wrong and God's way was right, I benefited from it. And you know what? I was looking out for my own best interest. And you know what else? People were looking out for my best interest. And I wasn't going to cut myself off from that. Just as Joshua and Caleb, they were looking out for everybody's best interest. But they refused. And because they refused constructive criticism, you know what they did? They harmed themselves and their own best interest. They were kept out of the promised land. Not because of Joshua and Caleb. Why? Because of their own attitudes. And their failure to change. Let me give you something else. When I was first saved, I believed this way. I had no teaching. You you have to remember this. Because we were told we were unable to have children, this is what I developed in my thinking. We both said we're thankful that we have one child. And since that's the only child that God wants us to have together, we'll be thankful to God for that. And that's it. We proceeded to pursue adoption. Had papers ready and filled out and all that, a caseworker and all that, interviews and all that, and we're ready to adopt. Of course, because we were very candid when we answered some questions about our beliefs, The caseworker, I believe, didn't favor us as parents. Some of the questions were, what would you do if you got a child that had sickness or disease in the body? How would you respond to that? I said, well, we would believe God to heal. And they didn't like to hear that. They didn't like to... For the likes of it, I never know why, but they didn't like to hear that. We, We said, we believe that God would heal. They backed off from us when they heard that. But to make it short, we developed in our thinking over this period of time that God gave us one child and that was it. And we're satisfied with that. It was in His will and His plan. We didn't adopt. We couldn't adopt at the time. We would try and try again. But beloved, one day a brother came up to me and shared with me a scripture. You ready for this? That scripture says, if you profit from constructive criticism, you will be elected to the wise man's hall of fame. If you reject it, reproof and counsel, wise counsel and godly instruction, what will happen to you? You'll harm yourself and your own best interest. When he told me that it was the will of God for us to have children, that went against my theology. Some people receive that as an insult. Do you know that? Well, who are you telling me? My wife and I believe God gave us one child and that's all there is to it. And it's not His will we have anymore. So we're adopting. I've talked to people that way. That's the attitude that they possess. Now notice this. Number one. You're not going to be elected to the wise man's hall of fame. That's for sure. Number two. You harm yourself. And number three. Your own best interest. See, that didn't harm me. 
When I share that with people, that doesn't harm me if they respond negatively. They harm themselves in their own best interest. But I wasn't unwise. I set aside my own attitude. I set aside my own way of thinking. I set all that aside and looked at that brother and I said, I believe it. That brother opened up the Bible and showed me. I received constructive criticism. There was a flaw in my belief. I believe wronged. Don't be ashamed or afraid to say, I believe wrong. My belief was wrong. My belief was wrong. I believe wrong. My wife and I believe wrong all those years. We believe wrong. Because the doctor said. Because her body said. And all these different things. We said, it's not the will of God we have any more children. But beloved, when I received constructive criticism... When I changed my attitude, when I changed my way of thinking, I didn't harm myself. And as far as my best interest was concerned, I went home right away and shared that with my wife. And she saw the same thing. And immediately, instead of rejecting constructive criticism, instead of rejecting wise counsel, instead of rejecting the instruction of the Lord, we submitted to it. We bowed our knees to it. See, some say, what does it mean to bow? This is what it means to bow. I bow my way of thinking. I acknowledge you and your way and your thinking and your work as superior to what I believe. And it's sad to say, beloved, that there are not too many today that consider this to be a higher way of living and a higher way of thinking and a higher way of moving about in life in this realm in which we live. But, beloved, when people begin to realize this is what the the Word of God, this is what God says. This is what thus saith Jehovah God, our Father God, the Creator of all mankind. And they start saying, I am willing to change my way of thinking. I am willing to change my attitude. It's then that the Spirit of God has something and someone to work with. It's then that things begin to happen. It's then that changes begin to take place. It's then that growth begins to occur. It's then that miracles begin to happen. And within a period of two weeks, my wife was pregnant. I changed my way of thinking in a a hurry. Oh, you know what? This is, look at this false, false peace. I want to show you the difference between peace and false peace. We're so satisfied we have one child. And we convinced ourselves so much that we were satisfied with having one child. We're so satisfied that we have only one biological biological child. We're satisfied with that. We're so satisfied. It's the will of the Lord. Yeah, it's the will of God. Oh, I was so sincere, but so sincerely wrong. It is the will of the Lord. It is the will of God. Oh, I'm just so thankful. Beloved, that was so, it was false peace. You know why? Because if I'd have gotten beyond the false peace, there was a cry deep within both of our hearts that wanted a baby so bad we could taste it. When my wife would see someone pregnant, I mean to tell you, it would bring her to tears. She had a yearning on the inside. She wanted to have another baby so bad. We want to have another child so bad. How could this not be the will of God? But yet we convinced ourselves so falsely that it was the will of God. And there are so many doing that today in so many different areas. I don't have time to elaborate on it, but beloved... 
producing false peace. God wants me to do this. And it was not born of the Spirit. It's false peace that came out of their own emotional desires, wanting to do something by themselves. Oh, God is leading me to do this, and God is leading me to do that. I've talked to many of them, sometimes on the phone, about situations. God has led me to start a church over here in such and such a town. He has led me. He's told me to do this, and I'm going to go do it. And I, and I went over there, and, and, I, and I talked to him on the phone. I said, no, brother, how, how's the church here that you start over there? We started, it, but it's closed down in a matter of one month. I said, now, brother, I thought God told you to do it. Beloved, that's false peace. False peace. Everybody say false peace. False peace. It does not come from God. It comes from our own human reasoning and human emotions. We want something so bad that it's born of our own human emotion. And we get out there and start doing it ourselves. And God is not in it. God was not in what we were saying. You gave us one child. We're so pleased. No. We on the inside cried for another baby. We cried deep within. We wanted so bad we could taste it. And as I said, when my wife saw others becoming pregnant and having children, it just tore her up on the inside. And yet we're walking around. Well, if God gave us one child, we're just, if that's in His will, that's His will for us to have. Beloved, when I got a hold of that scripture, I'm telling you, I changed so fast. I never saw anybody change so quick in your life. I said, glory to God, it's the will of God we have children. It's the will of God we have another child. Thanks be to God. I went home. You see, you see why I'm now I'm telling you why I was so excited about it? I went home and told her because on the inside, the true peace of God rose up on the inside of me that passes all understanding. I knew it now. I knew God was in it. We wanted it. And together I knew it happened. And I went home, couldn't wait to share that with her. And I shared that with her. And she saw it. She knew it was the Word and the will of God. And we came into spiritual agreement, beloved. And like I said, within two weeks, she was pregnant with our son, BJ. So you see, beloved, that would have never happened. I'd probably be standing here right now with one child, Lisa. That's it. If I maintained that attitude and that type of a belief, I would have done what? Harm myself and my own best interest if I didn't receive the reproof or the wise counsel or the corrective criticism that comes from above. And beloved, you know in there, there where it talks about the, the, the man of God is to reprove and to rebuke and, and exhort and all that. Sometimes I think we misunderstand what, what Paul was saying to Timothy. Paul was not saying to Timothy, Timothy, when you go to that pulpit on Sunday morning, you use destructive criticism. You reprove the people destructively. Tell them they're going to hell. You preach hell fire and brimstone until it just pours out of your ears and eyes. Until they're so uncomfortable in their pews, they won't know which way they're going up or down, left or right. He wasn't saying that. You know what he was saying? You, with a compassionate heart of love, reprove the people. You offer constructive criticism. You love the people. You let them know that God loves them. You let them know that some of their thinking may be wrong and some of their ways may be wrong. But show them a way out. Constructive criticism will always show the answer. It will always show the way up. This is the right way. Walk ye in it. What did God tell Cain? He offered a bit of constructive criticism. Why are you so angry at me? Why are you so angry at Abel, your brother? Why are you so upset? Why are you so concerned? Why are you so wrath? Why has your countenance so fallen? Cain, if you'll just do it the right way, it'll work out well with you also. And you know what he did? He got angrier. 
more upset. Why? He was not a person who was willing to change. He was not a person willing to be given over to constructive criticism. Boy, I'd like to continue this because there's so much I want to say along these lines. Because in, in any circle that you're in, if you're in this denomination, I'm going to tell you what, you don't want to go any further. You know, you, you, you just take it real slow and you think everybody else around you is weird because they do something different. You come out of that circle, you come into the baptism of the Holy Ghost, and you see a, a different group of people here. Pentecostal people with shouts and praise and glorifying God, praying with other tongues and all that. And all of a sudden, you kind of wonder, how far am I going to go in this? And then you get filled with the Holy Ghost, you speak with other tongues, and you thank God for that. And then, then there's a tendency to settle down and all that. Someone comes along preaching faith and power apart from spiritual manifestations, and all of a sudden, they're taken back. People that are not open to what? Change and constructive criticisms about beliefs. I have talked to people of God who are sincere, who love God, who serve God much longer than I'm even alive upon earth. And you know what? Here was a response. If so-and-so didn't get healed, so-and-so's the best Christian that ever lived, so-and-so is so holy, so-and-so's this and this and this and this, exalting this person. Uh, and if they didn't get healed, healing's not for everybody. And if they didn't get healed, filled with the Holy Ghost for 25, 30, 40, 50 years, and if they didn't get healed, so holy, don't, don't do this and don't do that, and they do this and do this, and all the different things. If, if they didn't get it, there's no other way it's, it's going to be received. Thank you for listening to our Legacy Teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life and your ministry. I want you to know that God loves you, has a great plan for your life. But if you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I'd like to invite you to do that right now. Just pray this simple prayer right after me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart now. I receive you and accept you as my personal Savior and Lord. If you prayed that prayer with me, you're a child of God right now, and I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.